Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 172, air date August 30th, 2017. So let's give a little bit of historical context. You know, let's go back to 1978. What did the world of 1978 look like? If you go back to 1978, you have to understand, first of all, in that environment, uh, computers were just coming into being. And a computer would fill the size of this room. And this is really where the invention of email starts. You have to understand in 1978, as I mentioned, who used computers? It was, frankly, men who were highly technical and it was an elite group. You had to be very sophisticated and smart to use a computer. Highly trained PhDs, scientists, some students. In that medical college, Dr. Les Michelson, who was my um, mentor and advisor, had set up what we call a wide area computer network. Nothing to do with the internet. We're between uh, the college in Newark, the the, uh, affiliate college in Piscataway, the campus and the college in New Brunswick. He had set up a wide area network, three mainframe computers that communicated. You know, and this was mainly used for scientific data processing. But in that medical college or that network of campuses right there, every doctor's office had a secretary. You have to understand in 1978 again, what was the role of women? Women basically could have potentially four jobs. Either they could be a secretary, they could either be a school teacher, a housewife, or a nurse. But in that college, every doctor researcher had a secretary. And on that secretary's desktop, a physical wooden or metal desk, was the inbox, the outbox. Behind her was a, was a system of file folders. Underneath her desk was a trash can. Uh, on her desk was an address book, a, a little box for paper clips, which she would use for attachments. And the important thing on her desk was this thing called a typewriter. And she would put paper into this typewriter, typically white paper, and she would type away what was called the memo, the proverbial memo. And this memo had a very particular structure. Two, where she would list the recipient, one or more. The from, who was, was from. The subject line, the date. And sometimes she had what was called CC, which meant carbon copy or blind carbon copy. And then there was a line. And then underneath that was the body of the memo. And sometimes she would put ENCL, which means enclosures. And that referred to other documents that were attached. In that case, she would attach a paperclip. Now, when she had to do a carbon copy, She literally would take one paper, white paper, put a piece of carbon paper, another white paper, she'd roll it into this typewriter and have to click away and type. If she had to do 10 carbon copies, you can imagine. Sometimes she was there for one or two days. It was a very, very manual process based on the paper mail system. Every secretary had one of these desktops. And when they created a a memo, it was put into what was called an inter-office mail envelope or an inter-organizational mail envelope. Some people called it an interdepartmental mail envelope. It would get put in, it would get addressed, a little string would um, zip it up, and then it was sometimes put into these pneumatic tubes. These pneumatic tubes were like the Ethernet before Ethernet, and they connected the buildings. If it was another campus, they would put it in a car or a van, it would get sent. This was called the inter-office or inter-organizational mail system. And this is how university, the researchers, the administrators collaborated. So in this inter-office mail system 
was a medium for collaboration. By collaboration would mean that if they were to hire someone, sometimes they'd attach a resume, it would get passed around, forwarded mail. Sometimes they would collaborate to call people to meetings, broadcast mail, what we today call, you know, you call marketing messages. Um, if they had grant applications, but this was really the vehicle for collaboration. Without it, uh, and you needed all the parts, you needed the inbox, you needed the outbox. Sometimes you had registered mail, which means people would have to sign for it. So this was this very complex interoffice mail system, and Dr. Michelson challenged me, because he knew I was very competitive and I wanted to be challenged, to convert this entire system to the electronic replica on the computer. So what did I do? So this little 14-year-old kid, like an anthropologist, my customer was the secretary. I interviewed them, I understood all the features, and there were probably about close to 70, 80, 100 features of this system. It was a very complex system. After I enumerated those features, then I started designing the system. I used a database, which was there. I used a Fortran programming language and the computer network. I didn't use anyone else's systems. Again, this was independent of the internet or any of that. And then I started writing code. In fact, I wrote 50,000 lines of code. It wasn't simple code. Fortran was not designed for text processing. It was very difficult. And it was across a system of 35 programs, which interrelated. We only had 8K of memory, random access memory. So I had to actually write memory management tools. So fundamentally, I wrote a system which uh, grasped all these features or captured all these features. But here was the important thing. There were two important features. It had to be user friendly. Remember, you had a secretary who was used to the typewriter. And the people in this system were not going to move away from the paper mail system to the electronic system unless it was bulletproof. It had to work because they knew the paper mail system. You sent a letter, it got there. So I had to also make it bulletproof. When an email got sent, it had to be reliable. It had to be reliable across a network and user-friendly. And that's what I created. And I called this system email. Five letters, E-M-A-I-L. This was not an obvious term. I was the first to create the term also. Why did I call it email? It was not an obvious term in the sense uh, uh, because the reason I called it email, to be more particular, was the Fortran programming language had six-character limit on any variables. And the operating system only allowed the applications to have five characters. So imagine like the apps you run on your iPhones only have five character names. So I called it email. Obviously it was probably eight or nine characters. I may have called it electromail. So it was not an obvious term. So I built this system. I had to write the user's manual. I had to train people. I had to quality assurance. I was a single one-person software engineering shop. And the initial system came out in 78, then I built variation, 79, 80, et cetera. In 1980, there was an article that came out in the local newspaper talking about this kid who'd invented uh, this first electronic mail system. And at that time, today, there's a very famous science award called the Intel Awards. In those days, it was called the Westinghouse Science Awards. Some people call it the Baby Nobel Prizes. And I was asked to apply for that, so I applied for it, and I won the Westinghouse Honors Award. There were different honors award, but I was um, uh, proud to be one of the recipients of it. After that, I went on to MIT. You know, 1981, I uh, got accepted to MIT. I was the first to call it email, and I have the U.S. copyright for it. One thing I didn't mention was when I went to MIT in 1981, I met with the president of MIT because I was also the student body president. And he said, Shiva, it's unfortunate that the Supreme Court doesn't recognize software patents. What I did not know was in 1980, the Copyright Act of 1976, which only let you protect software, I mean, only let you protect novels and movies, 
was amended in 1980 to become the Computer Software Act of 1980. What that meant was you could protect software inventions using copyright. Dr. Paul Gray, 1981, when I met with him, told me I should do that. So I actually wrote away to the copyright office, got the form, there was no internet, there was no PDFs, filled it out and submitted it. And August 30th, 1982, I was officially issued the first U.S. copyright for email, officially recognizing me as the inventor of email. Okay, so today is a victory not only for Shiva Iadere, the inventor of email, but it's a victory for all people, all humans who strive to seek a better day for themselves and their family.